You know, many years ago, um, we were parenting little children, my wife and I, and uh, it's, it's great that you mentioned the whole parenting thing. We, we only, we just had a starter family with three kids, um, so we don't have quite, quite as many as you guys did. But when, 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 when one of our children was little, uh, they were, uh, well, they did something they weren't supposed to do, and we did what many parents do. We put, we put this child in a timeout, or I should say my wife put the child in a timeout. And Heather was a little surprised. Uh, a few minutes later, she turned around and noticed that the child had gone about playing and she said, who told you you can get out of your time out? And the child looked at mom and said, God told me. <laughs> How do you argue with that, right? Now, while I doubt that God really told them to get out of the time out, it's a perfect introduction to our topic this morning as we continue in the book of Mark. When I think back to my own childhood, I can remember thinking, who gave you permission? We're talking about authority today. Who gave you permission to get out of the timeout? Who gave you permission to eat those cookies? Or maybe you've heard this expression, who made you God? See, there's something about authority that is an ever-present part of our lives from the time we're little children all the way, well, throughout our entire lives. We deal with this subject of authority, this issue of authority as children. It's mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or whoever our, our guardian is. As we get older, maybe it's a police officer or a school teacher. Maybe it's a coach of some sort. As we've been looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus, our perfect example of what it means to be human, the one that we follow, the whole purpose of First Alliance Church, we're blessed to be able to eavesdrop on some of the conversations that Jesus has. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, 4K video footage of all of Jesus' interactions, but God's word is packed with stories, with true stories, with accounts from eyewitnesses that describe the things that Jesus did, the things that he said, the conversations that, that he had with people. And it's so absolutely remarkable. As we saw last week, those conversations are not always nice. They're not always cordial. But Jesus had a remarkable way of speaking the truth in love, of, of caring for the best interests of other people, even when it wasn't pretty. Just as a parent may discipline a child, the child doesn't necessarily feel the love at that moment. But there's a higher purpose. As I used to always tell my kids, it hurts me more than, no, I never said that. <laughs> I, may, I never, ever told my kids that because, well, I just never wanted to because I had heard it so many other times. No, but what I, I would tell my kids is, I love you too much to let you do whatever it is that you've done. And our God is a good, good God, a good, good Father, and he loves us and he wants his best for us. So although he addressed inappropriate behavior, Jesus was especially attuned to confronting religious people, people who had everything on the outside perfect, but inside were messed up. And today, our text deals with a, a, another remarkable encounter that, that Jesus has with some religious leaders. Before we go there, let's pray together. 
Lord God, as we look at your word today, I, I'm just reminded so much of what a great, great God you are. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that we have not only your words written down for us to study and to read and, and to emulate, but I thank you that you are alive today. That we don't worship a dead God. We don't celebrate mere events in history, but the best is ahead. And so today, we want to just join you. We want to participate with you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us into all truth. That we may be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to kind of begin with a declaration. Maybe it's a, a common thing. Maybe it's something you're very familiar with. Maybe this is going to surprise you a little bit. But hear me out on this. Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. Any of you believe that? He was the smartest man who ever lived. Now, you may say, well, he was God, of course. So he was just born here, you know, with an IQ of 10,000 or whatever high IQ is. See, I don't have a high enough IQ to even know what a high IQ is. But we read in Scripture that Jesus actually set aside all his superpowers, if you will. He became one of us. And while he was fully God, he was fully human, he set aside all his superpowers and he relied upon the Holy Spirit to lead him and guide him and give him the power. By the way, that's the same Holy Spirit that we have access to today. Which is why Jesus later said to his followers, everything that you've seen me do, I want you to keep doing. In fact, you'll do even greater things than you've seen me do. And Jesus did some pretty great things. See, sometimes we give Jesus a free pass. Like, of course he was smart. Of course he, he was powerful. Of course, he was God. He just, you know, he was born with all these superpowers. But we're told he actually set those aside to become one of us. And therefore, his, his smartness, his wisdom, his intuition, his power, it all came by the same Holy Spirit you and I have access to. Jesus studied and he knew the Jewish, Jewish Bible. He amazed religious teachers when he was only 12 years old, it says in the book of Luke. And the first chapter of this particular gospel or good news, we've seen this before several months ago, actually quite a while ago, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, Mark's pretty brutally honest at this point, Right? Jesus taught as one with authority, and yet the teachers, the professionals, the religious people, not so much. Jesus possessed authority. He was the smartest man that ever lived, but Jesus himself, he possessed authority. Not only were his words filled with truth and wisdom, they came with authority. If you have truth, but no authority, you're like a little boy trying to direct traffic in the middle of a road. Good luck. If you have authority with no truth, you're likely to act unjustly or even corrupt. And we've all seen people, we've all known people in authority of various types that have been corrupt. They had the power, they had the authority, but they didn't have the truth to back it up. Truth and authority, however, is a powerful combination that can lead to transformation. We need authority in our world. Without it, we'd have chaos. Imagine if drivers were allowed to drive as fast as they wanted to, as reckless as they desired, without, well, any police officers or even speed cameras. People drive bad enough with those things. What would happen in the home or the school 
if children did as they pleased. Imagine a workplace with no boss to reinforce the employee handbook or a sporting event without a referee. It would be anarchy. There's a popular saying in our culture from Rich Reminder, interesting name, Rich Reminder. It says, there is no authority but yourself. How long can civilization survive with that mantra? We're told in the book of Romans, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God is the ultimate authority. Jesus is God, and therefore Jesus has the ultimate authority. The word authority in the original Greek, by the way, exousia, it means jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength, authority. So if you will, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Mark for quite some time with breaks in between. Today, Mark 11, we're beginning at verse 27. It says, They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. I'm guessing they had a deep voice. I don't know. And who gave you this authority to do this? They're challenging Jesus. We learned last week that they were afraid of Jesus because the crowd was amazed at his teaching. They wanted to do anything possible to discredit Jesus. Anything possible. They were willing to do the ultimate thing to discredit him. They were willing to snuff out his very life. They were plotting to kill Jesus. They were probably saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? God or something? One of Jesus' favorite tools was to always, not always, but often to respond to a question with a question. Maybe you were like me, taught you're not supposed to do that. But Jesus had all authority. He did that. He replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Just one question. That's a reasonable thing, right? Just one question. So here it is. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. See, he's in, this, in their face because they've been in his face. This is not a gentle, nice conversation, but they're attacking him, and he, without sinning, don't miss this, without sinning, a heart full of love, full of truth. He confronts them because he understands their hearts. He understands what they're trying to do. And there are crowds, there are people that are seeking answers, they're seeking truth. Now, if you don't understand this question, John's baptism, what, what does that all mean? Well, Mark helps us out. They discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say from heaven that John's baptism was from heaven, then he'll ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John was really a prophet. See, Jesus set him up. Remember, he's the smartest man who ever lived. More than an intellectual argument, he was really concerned about their hearts. He knew that they were up to no good. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Hey, at least they were honest. I mean, they weren't trying to make up stuff. They just said, we don't know. 
And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus sounds a little snarky, doesn't he? That's not very nice, Jesus. But perhaps it was necessary to get their attention. Or even more, maybe it was all part of God's plan to get them riled up so that they would be successful in their quest to kill him. Thus fulfilling God's ultimate plan, his ultimate purpose, the mission upon which Jesus was sent. See, we have to be careful when we read Jesus and say, well, Jesus did this, so therefore we could do this. We follow Jesus, but we have to understand the context. We have to understand why did Jesus do the things that he did, and let's not forget what ultimately happened. He died. He was executed. He was martyred for his faith, you could say. Jesus possessed authority. Jesus actually possessed all authority in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus' authority is greater than any other person that's ever lived. Matthew 28, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, the end of Matthew 28. In fact, the last words that we see Matthew saying about Jesus, Matthew is one of four biographers of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, he just describes some of the last things that Jesus said. The 11 disciples... They went to Galilee after Judas had hung himself. They went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Any idea which of the disciples may have doubted at this point? Thomas is a very good guess. Then Jesus came to them and said, and this is Jesus' words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, family, followers of Jesus are under his authority. This might be the primary difference between the world and Christians today. The world will always act like the world. They'll do what they want or what they can get away with. But followers of Jesus are to submit to the authority of Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not a one-time prayer. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's, it's not Jesus is a sky fairy that's going to answer all your prayers and give you everything you want like a genie. No, Jesus, has, he came to declare and to prove that he was God. He came to declare and prove his love for you, his commitment to you, his desire for the very, very best for you. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. But he has his best in mind for you. He can be trusted fully. Followers of Jesus submit to God's authority. Paul wrote this. He said, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There's a lot of talk these days about our bodies. I can do whatever I want to with my bodies. According to this, you can't. The only thing you're supposed to do with your body is honor God. Pastor, that's not very popular. That's not what I saw on Netflix. People were doing all sorts of things with their bodies. 
followers of Jesus are to honor God with their bodies. That means purity. That means discipline. Might even mean exercise. It's a temple. This is God's temple. Remember, this building is not the house of God. Our bodies are the house of God. We honor God with our bodies. By the way, you don't have to like everything in the Bible by definition. But followers obey. We are told to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. In other words, followers of Jesus, we are to die to ourselves and live for Christ. Not our agendas, not our sin, but seek first God's kingdom and his will and his ways. It's not popular, is it, family? But it's worth it. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're under the authority of the king, who then said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. By the way, he did not say this to professional clergy. He did not say this to international workers and professional missionaries. He said this to all of his followers. Go and make disciples. We are all commissioned to go and make disciples. That's what it means to live under his authority. That's our mission. That's our commission. That's what we're all on mission to do. We call this the Great Commission because these are the instructions that Jesus gave his followers before leaving earth, before he ascended into heaven. It's our mandate. It's our purpose. It's our calling. John records these powerful words from Jesus. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. Obedience is God's love language. Have you ever thought, what can I give God for a gift? Sometimes I think about this at Christmas time. I mean, it's a common thing, you know. What are you going to get Jesus for his birthday? What, 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 what could Jesus possibly want at Amazon? What are you going to get Jesus for his birthday? You know what he wants? He wants your obedience. Many of you are familiar with Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman in his book, The Five Love Languages. I think it's a great concept. I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> Heather and I do talk about it for hours when we do premarital counseling. But five love languages. Words of affirmation. Gifts. Acts of service. Quality time. Meaningful touch. It's kind of hard to buy gifts for God. Acts of service. Okay. Quality time, he likes that. Meaningful touch, it's kind of hard. Words of affirmation, he enjoys. But what he really wants is our obedience, family. He really wants our obedience. Not because he's trying to control you, not because he's trying to manipulate you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands because that's how you show your love. And he continues, and he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept the Spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is coming 
which Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. Holy Spirit's going to come. All the power I had is going to come and be in you, the temple, the new temple of God. No longer in the temple made with stone, but flesh. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What a neat arrangement that is. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now that's a, that's a big chunk of scripture there. But in this passage, Jesus declares his authority comes from the Father. He repeatedly states then that love equals obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So my question this morning for you, family, do you love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? And if so, prove it. We need to obey his commands. The two greatest commands, he said, were to love God and love your neighbor. And then there's this great commission, which brings some specificity and some clarity. What does it mean to love our neighbor, to, to make disciples, to go and make disciples, to make little Christ, to reproduce the life of Christ in other people, to spend so much time with Christ and people like Christ that you'll become like Christ and it'll be contagious. See, sometimes people say, discipleship, yeah, come to our discipleship class. That can be a useful part of the process. But discipleship ultimately happens life on life. It's, it's, it's like what a parent does to a child. It's what a mentor does to a protege. It's passing the baton, the likeness, and that we would spend time with Christ, we become like Christ, because what I think this world needs more than anything else is Jesus. And if we had about 7 billion Jesuses on this planet, I think we'd have a better planet, don't you? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the assignment. He has all authority. See, ultimately it means that we are to become followers of Jesus who help others become followers of Jesus. Living like Jesus and then helping other people live like Jesus. Well, how do you do that? It's a daily thing. It's a surrender thing. There's no shortcuts. It's a daily rhythm of dying to yourself and seeking first God's kingdom. And this is so hard. It's so hard in our culture where we're bombarded everywhere. Billboards, social media, radio, TV, with messages that it's all about you. It's all about you. But it's not. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's not about our desires, our rights, our pleasures. 
Now, I'm not saying self-care is wrong, but self-worship is. I don't know if any of you have studied Satanism. It's not my favorite subject and not something I would encourage people to study a whole lot, but I, I can give you a primer on it right now. See, Satanism is not about worshiping Satan. It's about worshiping self. I found this quote from a website this week, uh, a, a Satanism website. It says, Instead of relying on some moral code meant for those who belong to religion, the Satanist is free to choose who they will love or who deserves their punishment. This places a Satanist at the center of their own world, their own universe, with the self being the most important aspect of all. Does that sound like our culture or what? Our culture is obviously obsessed with self-worship and it's as old as Satan himself, the prideful one who began tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, this is the constant temptation that we would become like God, that we would become God, that we become the authority, that whatever we want, whatever we desire is at our disposal. Who has time for God, you old school traditional? But see, this is not the way of Jesus, family. The way of Jesus is about surrender. The way of Jesus is about followership. The way of Jesus says, he's smarter than I am. He's worth following me. He loves me more than my friends on Facebook. And he's certainly wiser than anything we can find on social media. See, discipleship is to live under God's authority I know it sounds harsh. I know it sounds radical. I know it's countercultural. But I'll make you this promise. You will ultimately not regret following Jesus. Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. You're not. Jesus is the wisest human that ever walked the face of the earth. Not even Solomon can claim that. Jesus is the most powerful human ever. He had all authority. And our governor, our president, the royalty in Great Britain, they can't even claim that. Jesus is God. He didn't try to self-actualize or evolve into a God. He is God, capital G. And he's good. He is so good and his ways are good. And I know some of you are wrestling with, can I trust him? Can I trust him? I want to say, yes. He's not going to make your life easy and take away all your pain and sorrows overnight. But he's got a purpose for all of them. He's the only one worth following in this world. In our current culture, authenticity is the new authority. Some of you have probably realized that maybe you've never picked up on it. I was listening to a podcast with a, recently with a guy named John Comer, and he articulated it so well. He said, authenticity is the new authority. This is what everybody lives for. This is what everyone lives under, authenticity. 
The constant message is, let your emotions dictate your actions. Do what feels right. Get what you want. It's all about you. Be true to yourself. You do you. Speak your truth. Tragically, so many people, while they think they're doing what they want to do, they're actually being manipulated by a whole nother voice, which is the voice of, well, those other people. Well, I have to, I have to post something that will get a lot of likes on, on Instagram or Facebook. I have to stay up on the latest, hippest trends so that I look cool, so that people will like me. See, it's so funny that when we worship ourselves. It's really not even ourselves that we're worshiping. We're worshiping all those people out there. We're trying to follow, to fit in with all those people out there. Tragically, we often do what we think others want, what will get the most approval from others. But popularity won't last. Following your momentary emotions and desires will not lead you to lasting happiness. Your authentic self is who you were created to become. And you were made by God, you are made for God, you are made for God's glory. God was not made for your glory. We all need an external guide in order to experience human flourishing. As our music team comes up, we're going to close with a song. We need something to build our lives on. We all need something to build our lives on. And my question this morning for you is, what are you building your life on? Who are you building your life on? Maybe you're stockpiling money in your 401k, thinking that if you just have a little more, you're going to be set. Maybe you're on a social media quest to have more followers than Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift. maybe there's just something so compelling to you about the latest fashion or the latest technology or gadgets or, or if you just get that car or that house or find that perfect spouse or, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Who are you building your life on? And the world's pretty clear. It's all about you. And let me say again, that's the message of Satan. It's all about you. If you want to follow Satan, grab a mirror, good luck, have fun. But there's a better way. And again, family, it's not always an easy way. It's a narrow road. It's not always a popular way. But I can tell you from following Jesus for decades... It's worth it. You will ultimately not regret following Jesus. I've made a lot of mistakes. A lot, I have a lot of regrets in life. I think we all do. Following Jesus has never been one of them. So I'm just here because I love you. And I just want to declare, Jesus has all authority. His ways are higher than our ways. He knows best but we get to choose.